0: Welcome to Rule the World, the and power of storytelling. Storytelling is what connects us as humans, and for brands, it is no different. A well-told story can effectively position your brand in the minds and hearts of your audience, and can convert thoughts and feelings into results and revenue. On this show, we dive into the unique and recurring principles of world-class storytellers from every walk of life to help you level up your storytelling skills and knowledge to drive real, measurable results for you and your organization. Here's your host, Paul Furlong.
1: Hello, and welcome to Rule the World, the art and power of storytelling. I'm Paul Furlong, Creative Director of Opus Media, and today's guest is Zuza Weisser. Zuza teaches the art of storytelling at the Free University of Berlin, as well as at the Berlin University of the Arts. She is a co-founder of the Narrative Theatre Ensemble Fabula Drama in Berlin and has received many awards as the narrator and has often been invited to international festivals. She has developed a special form of multilingual narration on the stage and is co-founder of the multilingual narrative theatre series Fenster Zum Welt. Well, Olzusa, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming along today. Hi. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself expanding on what i've just talked about and uh, maybe telling us how story involves itself in your world
2: ah it was very typical when i was a child my grandmother would tell me stories but mostly stories of her life the stories i'm telling today mostly are she read to me in books but um she told me stories from her life when i was a child i wanted to hear about what life was like when she was a child for example and she told me a lot about world war 1 and world war 2 and so on so i was used to getting told, to being told stories but i started storytelling much much later and there was a big period in my life when stories were like only in cinema or in, or in books important to me <clears throat> And during my studies of theater pedagogues or like drama teacher in University of Arts, <clears throat> we were working on traditional stories and working on that you usually use them for theater with children and so on. And then we were we were like considering what would it be like to give them back to the oral, oral tradition instead of making theatre plays from them, from like traditional folk tales and fairy tales. So we developed it more and more. And that started like in 99, I started to uh, found this group, Fabula Drama, um, and I didn't found it, I was one of the members, it was, in reality, it was uh, Professor Christine Wadetsky from University of Arts, who did it with some alumni, so we were a group of six, and we started once a week to really just work about stories, to try to tell them together, or alone, to like this, you know, and then... We started also to tell stories in public. It started by a volunteer thing, and then there were librarians who said, oh, please, could you come into my library? And And so, around Berlin, this started, and we thought we were pioneers, but we weren't, of course. I mean, in, in all over the world, and especially in Britain, for example, and France, storytelling had never really stopped, but it had gone down, but there was kind of a revival of it in the 80s already in schools and so on. So we were late. And then we found out that also in West Germany, in the south of Germany, there were already storytellers doing storytelling for many years. And nevertheless, there was a big growing uh, through the University of Arts and Christ- because she really started in as a part of the studies of drama teaching she started to uh, really make people interested for storytelling and educate them in the beginning it was only a little and then it grew more and more and I think ever since we have uh, trained so many storytellers and there is such a lot of storytelling nowadays in Berlin in schools and school projects, which are um, financed by the state and so on. So in the last, you can say, nearly 20 years, there has been a big development of that. And me, well, I was a drama teacher, I was a psychologist, I was a social worker, social pedagogue. Um, and then I started drama teaching and I became a storyteller by coincidence and I found out that this is what I want to do, that it's like being your own director, being always improvising on stage, very important. I like to act as well, but it was never easy for me because I really like to be improvising. And then if you act a play, you cannot improvise all the time, at least not if you're more people than one on stage. And storytelling is so different from that. It's... As as a storyteller I feel I'm not so much important. The more important thing is always the story. I give my face, I give my gestures, I give my body, I give my voice. But I feel that I, I'm like lending all these things to the story. The story comes to me, goes through me, I give it to the audience and I can see on their faces and in their eyes. That there is something, origin coming to the people through that story. So in every phase, there is something different. Also, I can see something happens throughout the story. And that's not me, <laughs> that's the story. And that's the history of stories. It's, it's about centuries of storytelling which have who have washed this story like a stone in the river you know and now it's there and i pass it on and it's getting washed on and on again this is how stories are to me they connect me to our anchors
1: and that's all within the oral tradition does germany yes. have germany have a strong uh storytelling oral tradition going back many many centuries
2: I think yes, of course, but uh, it was like it was interrupted through the (laughs) development of civilizations, through industrialization, through the media, so came in, and I think mostly interrupted completely, or it came nearly to a complete end. with the Second World War, with fascism, and not through the fascism, but afterwards, because people just stopped talking. I mean, they wouldn't talk about what they experienced during the war and before, and so they wouldn't pass on stories either. Because I think this goes, very, this is very connected, storytelling and. Um, passing on your own experiences. is It's two sides of the same, same coin, you know, and since people wouldn't talk about their traumata and not about their guilt and not, you know, so they wouldn't pass on stories. So it's very hard to tell a story if you don't want to remember your life. So it came nearly to a breakdown and it started again in, in the late 80s, I think, yeah.
1: And obviously Germany is famous for its its kind of written storytelling tra- tradition with the Brothers Grimm, and you mentioned them earlier on. So what is it about um, Germany that lends itself so easily to fairy tales? And why do you think that the Brothers Grimm were so good at
2: Uh, Most of it, they were scientists. They were language and literature scientists, you could say. And they were very interested in collecting these kind of tales. But if you look at those different editions they printed, um, they had printed. um, In the beginning, they were very short tales. They were very they they worked on them but very little you know and then uh, uh, the next prints they gave they 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 published um they were more elaborated each time and uh, in the end the, the stories as we have them now they have never been told that way it's a poet's work on them you know it's a literature work it's not about oral tradition so it's very hard nowadays to say what were the stories they really got if you get there is a fine a, a, a tiny book of prints of um the first notes they put when they heard the stories um, and this gives an idea to what it was before you know and then you can find also that what they got as stories is partly very french because it came from huguenotten uh, people who had to leave France and <clears throat> brought stories, which are Perrault stories, or kind of, and then of course you you find stories in the Grimm collection, which is very con- which are connected very much to stories you find everywhere in the world, you know, and they just came through the Orient, I think, to Germany as well as to any other part of Europe. So, there is nothing very special about the Grimm stories. They made them special because they put them down, they made a big collection, and because of their special way of, of um, giving them their poet's um, stamp, profile, you know. So, then they were read to children a lot, although they are not children's literature, but since they printed them as a Children and house book, they were read to children, but most of them is not children's stuff, I would say. It's stories about love and crime or sex and crime, you could say, as they have been told and told and told and told between adults and as they are told today, between adults. I mean, if you look the crime novels, if you look the cinema, it's always about that, you know, love and hate, yeah. and betrayal and that mostly the good will survive in the end.
1: And so what do you think the importance of fairy tales are?
2: First of it, the importance is that... I think the the, the most important message of fairy tales is that it's always good if you are in a bad situation, there's always help once you start to talk about it. Usually the turning point in the, in the fairy tale is when the hero, he or she, sits down and cries. And then when she starts to cry, there's always coming up someone, could be an animal, could be a dwarf, could be whatever, you know, <clears throat> asking, why do you cry? And then she or he tells what he's suffering about. And then there is a new... You you can walk a new way, you know. Then there is this opportunity to say, ah, listen, if you go that way, you will find... And then, you know, and then the, the adventure starts and during this adventure, usually the hero is growing over himself or herself. And then in the end, there is a solution he or she would never have dreamt of. So... This is what the first thing is, fairy tales give a lot of hope that life is un, unforeseeable and that if you believe in this possibility, there will always open a way first. The next thing is fairy tales tell me to believe and wonder that everything is possible. And they... they They teach me to believe in good and evil, to believe that evil things can be overcome. And it's not about moral, you know. Fairy tales are not about moral. The only moral in fairy tale is that you should believe in wonder and believe in the good, I think. The rest, if there is moral in it, then it comes from authors like the Grimm or usually the, the, the fairy tale is only offering itself. And it's very interesting if you talk, talk for example, to children or to people about the, the stories afterwards, they don't get all the same message. There is no one message in the story but I think there is one general message, which is that life has to be, in so, to be supported, you, you know. Life is something you have to uh, try to, to really shoot some, protect life in form of animals, in form of hungry people, in form of your, your, your own hungry belly, you know. You have to trust in life and to have to protect life as your surrounding but environment everything everything is part of a living world. Yes. In fairy tales animals can speak, tables can speak, I mean, you know, everything is alive and has to be protected to carry on life.
1: Now, one of the things that you, you study and one of the things that you teach is about how stories can help in learning languages, both for children and for adults. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yes. That's something we discovered some years ago that like 10 yeah, it was in the beginning of yeah, of the millennium. We we somehow discovered that although the fairy tales usually are told in a quite el- elaborated in a linguistic way of talking code, you know, quite educated language I use for telling them not antiquated but quite elaborated anyway, those who are still beginning to learn language they learn a lot and we, we found that this is maybe because all the Stories belong to the whole world. So it's very easy to connect to the pattern a story is told in because that's like a global pattern of stories, you know. So for someone from Persia, from Afghanistan, or someone from Syria who wouldn't know so much German, he knows the pattern. And so when I tell them stories... I tell the stories with my voice, with my face, with my body language, but also with the blackboard behind. And if there are words, words, they wouldn't understand too easy. In the beginning, I just draw very easy, like uh, the story starts in a house, I put a house, you know, then there is this long way through the forest, I make a way and I put the forest and then... I'm in the castle or the cavern with the dragon or whatever you know and I it's only very little drawing but then they have the whole pattern here and I can show to say now the boy is there in the forest and there and they easily see you know the the scenography sometimes I work with uh, sometimes I work with um, Kamishibai, with, which is, do you know Kamishibai? It's like a, like a little frame, <laughs> like the telly, you know, like a little telly frame, and you have just different drawings in it, and you have to, the the actual drawings in front, and when he leaves the forest, I take it out, and there is the next picture, the next picture. When I was a child, we used to have those little tellys you could look into, and give it a switch and then the picture would turn and turn and turn it's like that but i prefer the blackboard because this is life you know they it's life that i do a drawing and i can always change the story if i want you know if i'm with the with the kamishi by i'm i'm i stick to the pictures you know so i prefer the blackboard and then they easily learn. And quite often, for example, those pupils, we have those classes in Germany where young pupils come to learn only German. You know, they are usually, they are from 15 years on. They come from everywhere. <clears throat> and afterwards, I talk to them. And quite often, they know the story from their homes. It's different, but they know the motives. They know the, they have heard it already or not quite that but they recognize some of the patterns so that makes it easy
1: What universal elements do you find are in all the stories that people will know from around the world?
2: It's, it's the pattern that someone in the beginning, the hero has to leave wherever he is you know, he has to leave home because it's burned down or because his parents died or because he was no nothing to inherit because he was the youngest one, whatever. And then he he's on his way, and there is a big crisis. And then during this crisis, he finds someone to help him, but he has also to give something: his courage. He has you know, or he has to. Um, it's always three, you know, three chances, three. He has to try three times, and only the third time he will be successful. Um, there is bad witches in the forests. There is bad dragons. There can be a good dragon if it's Asian, but usually it's it's bad ones. He has to prove, or she has to prove herself, and in the end there is a solution to free a prince or a princess or. They are put into a barrel and put out into the wild sea, but then he has some magic words and he makes uh, he makes uh, that they get onto an island and that on that island there is a castle and they can get into it, whatever, you know. These, these breaks and just a new possibility shows up and that's what they know from everywhere. And then, of course, in in the villages are different. A German village um, looks different. There is houses of stones and not of straw. You know, there is no desert in German <laughs> in German stories. There is the wood, and in Asian stories, there is a lot of um, grass. You know, like like the tundra, or or then in African stories. There's a lot of desert, in the North African stories there's a lot of and so on. So the images are different, but the patterns of what what happens in stories is very alike. So if they understand the stories, they say, Ah, I know a story, but he's not walking through a forest. He is, you know, and then comes the specific items of their stories.
1: Yeah. So in your biography... Um, that I read about you, you wrote something, and I wondered if I could read it back to you, and you could expand on it a little bit. It kind of carries on from what we've just been talking about. So you wrote, Storytelling generally conveys human values and norms, addresses existential human themes, and links us with our cultural roots. Can you expand on that a little
2: bit? Yes. When when I tell stories to a group of whoever, I can feel that I really connect, I get really connected to them because the story I give them is gone through my whole body I mean to my whole association remembrance my own own history my own experiences so all this together forms the story I heard and when I give them to other people I tell them to other people the story is new she's renewed through my own experiences and then I can see How I told you in the beginning, I can see that the same thing happened when they, like, get the story into their own minds, you know. And then we are all together connected through this story. It's not me, I'm important, you know. It's now them and it's a story. And we feel connected because we all connect to the hero, to Ivan or, you know. We we connect to his um, to his fate, and there is a lot of empathy. I think the, the the most important word maybe is empathy. You know, storytelling really and listening to stories makes you develop empathy for others, and it's so important for a society to develop empathy. You know, to be able to to imagine what someone else feels in this or that moment, you know. Storytelling really teaches you that because you can feel it in the moment. I can see the feelings on the faces of the people. When I tell, you know, like there is is, uh, fear on their faces or hope or there is like being afraid, being... um, Shocked or whatever, you know, and also a lot of pity can be there with when if someone something bad or sad happens to the hero, you know, so I can I can see that on the faces of no matter if they're old or young, no matter if they're teenagers, you know, it happens with everybody. So that's what I think is the main thing stories do. They make you feel empathy. You know, in, in German school classes, like seventh, eight year, I like to tell stories. You know, they are so difficult, those kids, but I like to tell them stories. And there are a lot of Turkish and Arab sto- uh, kids and then I, I, I talked to the teacher and he said, well, you know, they don't know about Jewish. They don't know that those, even those religions are so close, you know. And so uh, one day I went and I told them a story about a Jewish uh, shoemaker. Uh, what, what's the name for shoemaker? I don't know. But, you know, he worked on shoes. That was his handcraft. And he was the hero of the story, you know. And he was really in danger getting through. I won't tell you a story, but it was really, he was uh, close to get, getting getting cut off his head. And it was something very special Jewish about the story, the way he connected to his God and how he made sure that he would not get cut off his head, you know. And it was, in a way, jokey, you know. And at the same time, wise. And at the same time, he was so, believing so much in his God, you know. And everybody in the in the class was just, uh, uh, was just favoring with him that he might get through it, you know. And he was Jewish, you know. So, in the end, we talked about were they aware that they were all the time giving their heart to the fate of the Jewish man, you know? And they were not aware of it, but afterwards, you know? And so I think this this just helps to see that human being are human being, you know? And it just helps to overcome all those racist and nationalist borders we have in our minds or we, we grow up with. And so
1: what tools do you employ when you're telling a story to draw out the empathy in the people who are listening to your stories?
2: I do. Is I try to just let the story speak for herself. I mean, I, I tell the story from, from my heart. I'm not so much... Um, I don't work the stories too much with my body, you know. I don't learn the story in the way of then I do the house and then I do the magician and then and then and then. I improvise it in the moment and I try not to be... What is the adjective for vanity? Vain. Aha, very easy. In German it's eitel. I try not to be too vain, you know. It's not about me, the story. If I if I pose with my body or with my voice or with my face, I just do it to make the story more clear and not to make it theatre. Because I have learned that if it's too much called theatre on the during the storytelling, the people afterwards will not remember the story. They just remember your poses, and they say, "Ah, it was nice when it was this and that," but they don't remember what it was about. So I don't. I try not to do too much. Only when there is a big audience, sometimes it's helpful to really be big, you know. And then I do. And of course, anyway, I try to be there with my whole body and with my whole. Attention, and that's and concentration. And I, I sometimes I had a, a hiccup, a migraine, you know, when I started storytelling because I had to. Sometimes afterwards the migraine was gone because my concentration was so focused on the story, it could even help to the migraine. It's not always working, but sometimes I experienced, you know. So I think it's a lot about concentration also to be. In the story and with the audience. You know, you have to be there and to see whether it gets to them or not. And also, if somebody is crying or somebody is really with another problem, you have to stop and focus on that problem to help this person in again. So, yeah.
1: And you mentioned uh, earlier on that you've done a lot of training, you've trained a lot of storytellers in the past. Yes. So, when you're. When you're training them, what practical things do you teach them?
2: I, for example, I teach, amongst many things, I teach. I mean, I'm talking so much about telling through the heart and so on. This is. Or very much, I want them to really understand the stories before they start to tell them. And means also to understand what means, what does that story mean to me? Why did I pick that story? And it's not about that they have to be uh, psychological discourse with me, you know, I'm no, but with themselves, they shall like understand what does it mean to them. That's like the inner work on the story is very important. Then I work with them on um, understanding the dramaturgy of the story, and I'm understanding also how it can help you to understand the dramaturgy, to 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 understand the story, and also to remember the story. So this is a kind of way how you can. Work on stories to really understand them and remember them. I, of course, I make them uh, draw like story books or storyboards. You know, like a, not a trick. It's a, it's a it's a skill of how you can learn and understand a story. I make them with body language. go through the story. I make them imagine very much about the scenography of the story because even if you don't, if you only tell little items of the scenography, you have to have the whole thing in your head or in your mind. Even if you only talk about a little detail, then, you know. And then one of the specialties I teach is how to teach together how to tell together, to be in tandem or in a group of three or four or more. And then I, I because I like very much to do that, to tell in tandem is very funny. And then there is this bilingual or multilingual thing that you can tell a story in several languages without translating each other, because if you start to translate you have one to say, once upon a time there was a lady and he had two kids and she loved one and the other one she hated, you know. And one day, and then you said, bueno, era una vez, eh, había una mujer. And start over it again, you know, for the audience, it's like this. It's it's not at all nice. And it keeps you from understanding the foreign language because the fact is that you can understand a lot, a lot in a foreign language even if you don't know the stories. If you get some hints what it is about, that's why it works for language learning, it's easy. So I started um, together with a colleague from France many, many years ago, Nathalie Bondu. We started to, you start the story and I continue. And there is only very little things, like uh, double, very little thing. She can tell about uh, the widow with the two girls, and she only loves one and the other one not, you know. And I go on and say, one day, the younger sister was sent from her stepmother to the well in the garden, you know. So all the information is there. It's not as detailed as it was for those who understand French, but they get, and so I can go on with the stories. And later on, Natalie takes over again, you know, and like this. And sometimes when it's very important, we talk just in one voice she, at the same time. She's French, I'm German. You can do that very dramatic. You can do that very, or when there are dialogues, it's very easy. One can do the question and the other language is giving the answer. You know, from the answer, you know the question. From the question and the face, the answer is given. You you know, very easy. And so we of course you can't improvise these things. You have to prepare them, you know, you have to know that you are in the same stories and so on. But it works quite well. And the group Window to the World, Fenster zur Welt, was founded in Turkey. When we were there on a Turkish festival, we had invented ourselves there, and there was only three Turkish speakers. One was Azerbaijan, which is quite a Turkish dialect, and Nazla and Ilhan were the Turkish speakers also, and the rest of us was German, me, English, and Spanish, which I speak, and there was Carmela with Italian and German, and Stella was Greek and German, and we had no Turkish, but we were all the time telling stories, you know, and the, the Turkish ones were just throwing Turkish words into or, you know. And the people, once we started to tell in the market, they followed us everywhere through a weekend and they liked it. And then we said, all right, this works, so let's work on it to professionalize it. And since then, we have <clears throat> done quite a lot of gigs and nice things.
1: Sounds brilliant. I'm just aware of of time, Zuza, so I wonder if I could ask you three um, quick-fire questions that we ask all of of the people we talk to. So the first one is, who do you think of when you hear the word story and why?
2: I think of Jack Lynch just now because he's one of the brilliant storytellers I got to know during the last 10 years and I learned a lot from him.
1: And why do, you, why do you think about him when you hear the word story?
2: I was very impressed when uh, I heard stories from him who were biographic stories as well as uh, Irish stories. And I saw him, I know he's an actor, but I saw him telling to in Aldenbysen to about 300 pupils and he was sitting on a chair and he had a table beside with a glass of water and he was just sitting and telling. And it worked.
1: Brilliant. I know that we'll be talking to Jack actually in a, in a couple of weeks. So uh, I'm lo- really looking forward to speaking to him. So I'm glad that you've said him. Can you recommend any good books or blogs or websites about storytelling?
2: I, Yes, I have some... Very very good collections, story collections from uh, um, in English. Uh, I, I got from a New York Press. It's I think it's Pantheon or Pantheon called. I, my my best collections I from there are uh, from there. Then there is Anne Taylor as well. She's British, I think. I love of course Duncan Williamson stories from the Traveler Story, Scottish. Eddie Eddie from Ireland he, he's great. He, he collected stories from the people who told about their experiences with the, with the tiny folk you know with the other world. Um, these are I, I love stories from all over the world and I prefer in my homeland the stories from the north with, which are in the northern dialect. They are quite similar to Celtic stories. There is a lot of connection.
1: And finally then, Zuza, where can we find out more about you? How can we connect with you? Where can we find you online?
2: Well, you'll find me online in www.zuzerweisse.de, which is my website.
1: Brilliant. Well, it's been great talking to you today, Zuza. Thank you very much for talking to us.
2: It was a pleasure. Thank you.
1: Speak to you again soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of All the World. Be
0: sure to rate, review and subscribe to the show and visit weareopusmedia.com for more resources based on today's topic as well as access to more episodes that will help you develop your storytelling abilities. That's weareopusmedia.com Thank you and see you next time.